All right. Turn to Isaiah chapter 8, verse 21. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 21. And I'm going to read all the way through to nine, chapter 9, verse 7. Title of my message is Missing Christmas. I may hate to miss Christmas with your family. I mean, know that we can totally miss Christmas itself. Praise the Lord. Let, let's read together here. It says, oh, wow. Now you can check my work. This is from the New International Version here. It says, distressed, distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and they will look upward. They will curse their king and their God. They will look toward the earth and they will only see distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will thrust into utter darkness. Verse nine, Chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Do you see this first group? They were distressed and they were gloomy and they were upset and there was darkness all around them and it was just nothing but gloom and distress. How many, how many sometimes look around the world around you and you just see it's dark? People are distressed. People don't know which way to turn. It's gloomy. And they're trying to deal with the problems that are around them and they just don't know what to do. The walls are closing in on them and they don't really know what to do. You guys are doing a good job. See, I got parental permission to watch this corner today. So I'm watching them close. How many have ever done an all-nighter when you were a kid? All night at Sky Zone, but I've got parental permission. If they fall asleep, I'm to walk over here and wake them up. So how many can help me with that? All right, just, just, just let me know. I'm watching them real close. I got my buddy over here watching. What's your first name again? Brock. Brock's here for the first time. He said he would help me watch them. He knows how mischievous they are, so he's going to help me watch them. Praise the Lord. So we got a group that's distressed and hungry, and this is uh, a lot of what's quoted in the New Testament about the Messiah. A lot of it comes from Isaiah, and a lot of it comes from these chapters here. And so Isaiah is about to give a prophecy about the birth of Jesus Christ, and he's using a real-life situation that was over 700 years before Christ was born. So imagine a prophecy over 700 years before you were born about your life, how you were going to live it, how you were going to be born. Everything about Jesus' life was spoken into existence hundreds of years before he was ever born. In fact, the very first creation, Adam and Eve, they began talking about what his life would be like. And so here's one from Isaiah over 700 years before Christ was born. And here's the scenario of why they were so stressed and gloomy. And one thing I love about the Bible is when it gives an example that we're supposed to use for our life, it's usually more extreme than what we're going through. And in this particular situation, there's a king named Ahaz. And King Ahaz is in his 20s. He's a very young man. And Ahaz had a dad who was very godly, and had a grandfather who was very godly. And um, so Ahaz is in a situation, he's in the same area where Jesus is going to be born at one day, 700 
And some odd years later, Jesus would be born in the same area that this King Ahaz is at. So the prophet Isaiah comes along, and, 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 and when he comes along, Ahaz is totally stressed out. I mean, he's at the end of his rope. He, he's about to possibly lose his life because the kings to the north, which is the other half of the nation, northern Israel, which was his nation but split off, them and Syria are about to attack him. They're angry because he won't join them in protecting him against the Syrians. So they want to attack, put another king there so they have another ally. So they're about to take his life. And then if they don't take his life, the other group, the Assyrians, are about to literally eat up those two kings. So they're about to wipe out those two kings. Those two kings want to wipe him out because he won't help them protect against the other kings. And really, no matter which way he goes, he's going to lose. And Isaiah comes in and Isaiah begins to give prophecies to assure him about the coming war, that he's going to be fine if he trusts in the Lord. But then he gives him another prophecy about something that's going to happen 700 from years from now where nobody has to worry. Like you don't have to worry about anything. If you if you have faith in what I'm seeing in the future here, you put your faith in that and you'll never have to worry again. He said the darkness is about to be, there's about to be a light that's going to shine 700 years from now, it's going to happen, but it's going to show everybody in this nation. God's like, I'm so tired of you not trusting in me. He goes, what I'm about to do is the biggest thing I've ever done. There's going to be a child that's going to be born, and it's going to prove to the world once and for all that I'm sovereign over everything. There's nothing that happens in this world that I'm not sovereign over, that I'm not in control over, that I don't, there's nothing that sovereign means God isn't surprised by anything. And so here we have a, a, an example of a world that is around us living in gloom, living in darkness, living in a, a lack of assurance that everything's going to be all right, living with anxiety. And how many know you can go through Christmas and you can miss this message that he's trying to give this distressed king? You can go through Christmas after Christmas after Christmas and never find the person he's trying to tell us we need to know. Now, there's something inside of us that is kind of wired for this holiday. And then there's a lot of things around it that trouble us. How many think that's true? Because how many of us in our heart of hearts, and it's not a put on, I want to be home for Christmas. There's just something special about it, isn't there? I want to be home for Christmas. I should... uh, have good feelings during this time of year. Everything should go well. Um, I want things to go well. Everything I want to be perfect for Christmas. I want all my family around me at Christmas. How many know we're kind of wired for it? There's something about being home for Christmas, and we don't want to miss Christmas. I want Christmas to be right. I want it to be special. I don't want to be away in the armed forces at Christmas, right? And it's sad when we need to pray for our troops that aren't, at home, and you know, when somebody's working out of town, they say, Man, I want to be home with my family for Christmas, or I want to get my whole family together so we can be together and celebrate Christmas. So, there's something special about Christmas, but then we begin to think about it and we, we kind of get troubled a little. We're like, Man, I don't exactly know where all of our customs came from. I know I'm celebrating the birth of Jesus, I don't exactly know the date. 
Um, when my family gets together, it's not always exactly how I pictured it to be. It doesn't always turn out the way I thought it would turn out. And sometimes the reality of Christmas affects us in some very unusual ways. And then you throw in the stress of money, stress of finances, the stress of meeting expectations. Maybe you're a parent that's worried I didn't buy enough or worried I didn't make enough memories with my family or my kids. How many know there's a whole lot of things surrounding Christmas? But he goes on and he says, he's talking about the gloom of walking around hungry and distressed in darkness and and, and no light at all. And he says, nevertheless, there will be no more of this gloom. For those who were in distress in the past, for the, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Now, you don't know what that's saying because you don't know the local story. Zebulun and Naphtali was way to the north. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, right? But he grew up where? In a place called Galilee. That area that he's talking about is Galilee. He says the people in Galilee will suddenly see a great light that will change the world. And it's really weird because this area is the area that was about to be attacked first. It was the area that the Assyrians would destroy and wipe out and come through. And he's saying there's so much gloom in that part of the country right now because they're about to be destroyed. He says, but I prophesy in 700 years in the land of Galilee, the place where it looks the darkest right now is going to see the greatest light that the world has ever seen. 700 years. Do you remember anything you imagine 700 years ago the prophecy of a birth and to a T every detail about the person's life? I mean, 700 to 3,000 years of prophecy, and he's finally here. So anyway, he goes through and he says, The people were walking in darkness, but now they have seen a great light. Those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged their nation, increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice in the harvest, as warriors rejoice when they divide the plunder. For in the day of Midian, uh, for as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke of the burdens that are on them, the bars that were across their shoulders. Do you see what's happening here? God has taken the people that are full of gloom, full of distress, full of anxiety, full of worry, full of gloom and darkness. And he said, a great light is coming and a great light is going to shatter the darkness. It's going to take the the bars off of their shoulders. It's going to take the burden that is on their life. And there's something in Christmas that if I don't get this message across today, you're going to miss it every Christmas from here to the day that we leave this earth. There's something that is capable that I've got to minister today and make you understand that if you don't get it, There's no hope for us. Let me go on. It says, Every warrior whose boot was used in battle, every garment that was rolled in blood, will be destined for burning and fuel for the fire. Do you know what that's saying? People that are worn out. They're tired. Jesus said, Come, you are heavy laden and burdened. I will give you rest finally. 
And he's saying that every person who is tired and worn out from this world, there's coming a day when you're going to celebrate like a person celebrates who's separating the loot that they won in battle. Can you imagine winning a battle? It's like, we get everything. We get all your gold, all your houses, all your cars, okay? They're dividing. They're like, oh, all for free. God says he's going to, when Jesus Christ is born, He's going to take all the negative of your life, all the hurt, all the pain, all the things that distressed you around the time of Christmas, and he's going to break it off of your back, and you're going to celebrate. What once was darkness in your life is now going to become light, and this birth of Jesus somehow, and we're going to get into this in a second, somehow it's going to cause that to happen to you. So we go on. And it says every warrior, basically the warrior who's tired of fighting is finally going to win. Your battle with anxiety, your battle with depression, your battle with alcohol, your battle with drugs, it says the warrior's boots that are worn in battle are finally going to rest. All the, all the vesture that he has dipped in blood from losing these battles his whole life, he's finally going to burn them in the fire. He's going to rest in God. You say, well, man, I battle every Christmas. You have no idea what kind of pain is in my heart, what kind of hurt is in my heart. I battle this my whole life, and God says, you're going to throw your battle clothes away. And this son is going to do it. The foolishness of this baby that is born is going to be a light of a new dawn. And it says... You will be destined, your, your battle clothes will be destined for burning. It will be fuel for the fire. And then this, this, this is weird. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. So not only is he born, but he's given by God himself. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen. Let's pray. That's my introduction. Heavenly Father, right now, help me deliver the message, Lord. I know the message, Lord. Help me deliver today. In your name I pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. So missing Christmas. They were a, there was a college psychology class, and they were sitting there, and you're already thinking, man, it's going to be bad probably. That's not bad. They pulled out a list, and they said, what is your first words that you think of when you think of Christmas? And they had to immediately write it down, no thinking. And in this class, the answers were tree, holly, mistletoe, presents, turkey, ham, holiday, carols, Santa Claus. Not a single person in the class put Jesus. So I'm not going to do it here. I don't want anybody to feel bad. I'm not going to say the first thing you think about. But there's a lot of things that we think about when we think about Christmas, right? And a lot of wonderful things, a lot of good things, a lot of great memories. And these aren't bad things. But sometimes we can go through every Christmas and somehow forget that that child that was born in that night, on, on, on that night in that barn, the change that he made in this world is amazing. Sometimes we cannot recognize beauty. 
Sometimes, how many know when Jesus was born in that stable, most of the world didn't see him? Most of the world didn't take the time to stop their busy schedule. The religious people of the world didn't even know he was born that night. The busy people didn't know that he was born. The poor shepherds that were sitting out, I mean, they weren't wealthy people. They were sitting out in the field all alone and dirty and working. They seen him. There were a few diligent people that knew that a time was coming and they had their eyes wide open and they charted a star and they said, hey, they found him. But how do you find a king when he's sitting in a dirty, stinking stable? How do you find Jesus in those situations unless you're looking for him? And here's the problem. Jesus, Jesus... It's hard to find unless you're looking for Him. It's hard to find Him in Christmas unless you're looking for Him. There's a, you may have heard this story before, but there was a man, it was an experiment by the Washington Post. And they decided to put a man in a very busy intersection. Their goal was to find out if people overlook beauty on a regular basis. If How easy is it to overlook beauty on a regular basis in our day-to-day life. So they took a young man, and this young man just happened to be one of the greatest concert violinists in the world. His name is Joshua Bell. Actually, you can go on YouTube and you can watch the video. And supposedly they gave him one of the most valuable violins, a Stradivarius, and I don't remember, it was worth $3.5 million. And it was an instrument that had a beautiful sound. And they put him in the middle of a busy D.C., um, I think it was like an airport. And they had uh, measured how many people went through there during that 45-minute period, and there was 1,039 people went through there at that time. And they gave him six different pieces for him to play. And the pieces that he was playing with the violin were some of the most difficult in the world to play. In fact, he was one of the few that could play those pieces properly with that particular violin. In fact, two days before the experiment, he was in Boston, and it cost $100 a seat to watch him play. And so they put him in street clothes, put him in the middle of this busy intersection, and just looked like a very common street person. And he began to play the most beautiful music on the most beautiful instrument in the middle of that intersection and they began to chart the behavior of the people that were around. And the people that walked through had no interest whatsoever. There was one man who stopped for just a few moments and leaned up against the wall and then he kind of looked at his watch and realized he had to go to work so he left. Uh, There were a few people that put a few dollars in a hat that he had. Uh, But for the most part, you can see it on video on YouTube, fast motion, everybody just goes right past him. Nobody appreciates the beauty of what was playing that day. And so they begin to summarize after that day that it's very common for people to miss everything during the day. Like it's very easy to miss your three-year-old who wants to talk to you very easy to miss your neighbor who's distressed. 
It's very easy to miss Jesus Christ in Christmas. How many know that's true? And as I began to think about Christmas, <clears throat> I started thinking about a character, and you're, you're going to think this is very, uh, very spiritual. But I started thinking about the Grinch. And you say, well, is that okay to preach about on Sunday morning? Yeah, it is. How many relate to him? I, I relate to him, okay? I was actually singing it this morning. I had the music on and I was singing the Grinch song. And, um, but here's the problem with the Grinch. This book was written in 1957. And when Dr. Seuss wrote that, He said it reminded him of himself. He said he would look in the mirror and he would say, there's Mr. Grinch. And it was because he lost something during the holidays. He dreaded the holidays because of the commercialization of Christmas. How many can relate to that? He said he lost something and he would look in the mirror and he would just say to himself, Christmas. In fact, when he passed away, his stepdaughter would say, uh, sometimes he was Mr. Grinch and sometimes he was Cat in the Hat. He was a little bit of both. So he started making this character of the Grinch. And, 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 and here's the thing that really fascinates me. In fact, he had a hard time writing the book because he said every time I tried to end it, I sounded like a Bible-thumping preacher. And I was trying to avoid that perception because the only way to reconcile his behavior changing was him to change his attitude. And so he finally ended it with him cutting the turkey for everybody. And that was the way he ended it without looking like a preacher. Uh, Was he changed his attitude and was cutting the turkey and serving it to everybody? How about a little beast, he said. (laughs) Cutting a little beast is what he said. But the Grinch, here's the thing about him that I want you to think about. The Grinch's problem, the reason he tried to steal Christmas, is because he was very wounded. Somewhere in his childhood, he was hurt. And there were wounds there. And they would say, in fact, I I wrote it down here. Listen to this. It says, every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot. But the Grinch who lived just north did not. He hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Please don't ask why. No one knows quite the reason. Do any of you... Let's see. The grouchy Grinch hates Christmas and everything about Christmas. The toys, the noise, the joy, the songs, the Santas, the parties, everything. Remember what he does. He decides to stop Christmas from coming. He dresses up at Santa, steals all the toys. But here's the thing about him that I find really interesting. Every time he would hear the singing of the songs, he would hold his ears. He said, I can't listen to the singing of the songs. I can't listen to the joy. I can't listen to the celebration. I can't listen to all the things that they're doing. Why? Because the guy was hurt inside. Very wounded inside. And so every time he heard it, it reminded him of what? 
his own wounds. And so one of the things that we're going to see at Christmas here, in fact, Ahaz is a great study for this because right before he says he's going to give a son and right before he prophesies Jesus being born, he tells Ahaz, this son that is going to be born will be a stumbling block to everybody. You know what a stumbling block is? Ever been in a dark room and one of your little kids, one of your children, put some in the middle of the floor and the light's off? And you're walking through looking for the light switch and suddenly you're face first in the floor? That's a stumbling block. Make it easy on you. Anytime somebody puts something where it's not supposed to be, it's a stumbling block. And the Bible says that Jesus would be a stumbling block. Say, man, that doesn't make any sense. The Bible also said that his death, birth and death would be foolishness to the world. To those who are perishing, it would be foolishness. And you know the people that are hurt the most have the hardest time with Christmas. I'm telling you, I relate to the Grinch sometimes. Because every time the wounds come up, the hurt comes up, and then you look at it, and you notice the distressed people, they were looking up, and the more anguish and the more gloom and the more darkness, the more they looked up at God and was angry. They said, but a son is coming, and he'll be a stumbling block to a lot of people. And here's what happens. When I get hurt, when I have pain, instead of looking to the only person that can heal my heart, I keep tripping over him. Every time he comes to try to heal me, I trip over him. But Jesus can't, I trip over him. And every time they start to tell me about God, I trip over him. It's like, I don't want healing because those people are singing those songs. So we we give up on Jesus because of Christians that have hurt us. We give up on Jesus because of a world that's hurt us. We give up on Jesus because of a bad home life when we grew up. And we give up on Him. And we just keep stumbling over Him. Stumbling over Him and stumbling over Him. And we're just like that, that Grinch that just the hatred and the bitterness builds up and we don't want anything to do with God and we shake our fists at God and we say, God, how could you do this? Why do you not care about me? Do you understand what happens? And the joy of Christmas that we were supposed to have, we can't have because we're too hurt inside. You say, man, preach this message about Christmas, about all the things that we've had so much fun with growing up. Jesus said, I didn't come to those who were healed. I came to heal those who were wounded. He came to heal people. He came to seek and save. The message of Christmas is for the one that's hurting. The message of Christmas is for the one who who needs healing. The message of Christmas is the one that's depressed, the one that has anxiety, the one that keeps tripping over him because nobody cares about him. You say, but I love Christmas. It's about me too. You already love it. I want to talk to the Grinch. The Christmas is for the Grinch. It's not for all the people that are having a good life and loving and enjoying. You know about Christmas. You know about Christ. You have the Spirit of God in you. It's about the hurting ones. It's about the ones He came to save. And so anyway, as I go along here, 
I put down here what I call the Christmas wound. The Christmas wound. How many have ever had the Christmas wound? Man, it just seems like everything, good and bad, comes up. How many have ever had that happen? Everything good, everything bad. Sometimes it brings back the reality that I just have a... My family's broken. My family's hurt. My family has so many things. You come to Christmas, they say... I've seen a meme one time that said, if, if you don't know who Cousin Eddie is in your family, you're him. Some of you have watched that movie. You know what I'm talking about. If you can't pinpoint who Cousin Eddie is in your family, you're him. And I would imagine I might be Cousin Eddie in both sides of my family. Maybe. Yeah, that's very possible. But sometimes we have such high hopes for Christmas. But man, those wounds just come back. And God wants to heal the wounds. God wants you to meet the Christ of Christmas. And you know what? You can't find Him in a store. You can't find Him in the greatest present that's ever given. You can't find Him in all these wooden nativity sets. You can't find the Christ that is a light of dawn and a dark life. We have to have the God who heals our wounds. And the God who heals our wounds does it through a relationship and fellowship with Him. Now how, how do I have fellowship with Him? That's the next question. Fellowship means, and I'm going to give you, this is dumb, but it helps me. You know what I'm going to say. Fellows in the same ship, right? If I find out he's in, he has a life similar to mine, if I find out that he's a fellow in the same ship, I can have fellowship. You know, it's a hard thing. Um, Sometimes when you've been wounded and sometimes when you've been hurt and sometimes when you're trying to reconcile how to have a Christmas and be happy and be excited and, and not be depressed and not be down, sometimes you want to see somebody that's had a hard life. Right? Sometimes there's comfort in, yeah, I did too. I understand what you're going through. Here's how God healed me. And so as I began to look at the life of Jesus, this Ahaz is an interesting character. He's in his 20s. And God says, tell me a sign, any sign, from the depths of hell all the way to the heights of heaven. Tell me anything, and I'll do it for you as a sign. And the king says, yeah, I don't want a sign. He said, I don't want to test God. But it was a religious statement he made. He didn't want a sign. He didn't want to know God. He didn't want God to intervene. He wanted to do it himself. And you know what? We can see the signs of Jesus and we can keep tripping over him like this Ahaz did and we can keep saying, I don't want him. I don't want him. I'm going to keep rejecting him. I don't want to see a sign. We'd be like Ahaz. I don't want God to help me. But God gives signs. He says the first sign is God is going to come on earth, which is amazing. Think about that. From the beginning of the world, God says, I'm coming to earth to save you. I'm coming to save you. In fact, listen to some of the ways he says this. I gotta stop there. I can't even go past that. Isaiah 59, listen to this. This is Isaiah 59, 16. It says, He saw that there was no one. 
He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him. Boy, how would you like the wrench to be sitting in his lair holding his ears and the God of heaven walks in and he's hurting. Nobody wants anything to do with him. Nobody loves him. And here's this. I saw that there was nobody. I was appalled that there was nobody to intervene. So my own arm achieved salvation for you. My own righteousness sustained me. Or how about he says this in Isaiah 63, 5, I looked, but there was nobody to help you. I was appalled that no one gave you support. So my own arm achieved salvation for you. My own wrath sustained me. God was so angry about how you've been treated. He wanted to come himself. Do you understand what it's about? God is trying to reach the unloved. He's trying to reach the hurting. He's trying to reach the wounded. And we go through Christmas and sometimes we don't even see him. That's what it's all about. He's trying to reach out to the hurting, the anxiety, the depressed, the addicted. Isaiah 52.10, the Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations and the ends of the earth will see the salvation from our God. Do you understand? God wanted to personally come on this earth. And you say, well, how did he come? Because it matters to me how he came on the earth. Because like I said, I find comfort in somebody that's had a hard life. How many are like that? You've been hurting. How many of you agree? It's nice to see somebody that's been through something hard because I still, some of you can say, I still don't know why I've been through such a hard life. How many can say that? And God's reaching out and he's saying, I've been through that life. How did the king of heaven decide after, this is the, you know, this is the most planned, unplanned pregnancy of history. This was planned from the foundation of the earth, but it was actually what appears to be an unplanned pregnancy. It is a young girl, probably around 14 years old, 15 years old maybe, and she has a pregnancy and it was not from a husband. Why would God do that? Why would he choose to do that? Why would he do it on the up and up? Why wouldn't he do it with a married couple? Why wouldn't he look, make it look legitimate? Why did he have to make Jesus look illegitimate? Do you know Jesus was mocked for this his whole life? The Pharisees, in one of their statements, when he talks about God being his father, they look at him in the Greek and they say, you don't even have a father. You know, he was mocked because he grew up in Nazareth, which was a seaport where sailors regularly impregnated women and left. And God chose to be born to a 14-year-old, 15-year-old girl. You say, why? Because he wants to have fellowship with those who are hurting. He wants to go into the Grinch's cave and he wants to say, I understand. Nobody would, nobody would help you. Nobody would support you. Nobody would do anything. And I was, did you hear he said, I was appalled. I was appalled. I couldn't stay in heaven because of what you're going through and I understand it. And it says that he was born to a 14-year-old woman. Let me tell you another thing. Sign number two. That's sign number one, that Jesus would be born 
in that way. Isn't that an amazing way? Number one, it's supernatural. You, it, it can't happen unless it's God, you know, because there's no dad. God could only come from heaven and fulfill the prophecies. There's no other way a man could fulfill. Only God could do it. God knew that our situation is so desperate that we can't even save ourselves. How many know that? The next sign that really sticks with me. Actually, I went through the first two. One who was born to the woman. Second, he did it himself. And here's the third one that really gets me. Is he was born in a mess. He was born in a mess. I'm going to tell you how messy it was. If you ever walked on uh, Highway 41 when the chicken mess was all over the road. I'm just using some local history here. I mean, you know the chicken refuse was all over 41 and it shut us down evidently for a whole day. I want you to imagine seeing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who was appalled at the way that you've been treated your whole life came to this earth and was born in a barn that smelled like animal droppings. Why? God, why didn't you put him in a palace? Why didn't you put him in a nice room? Why didn't you allow the hotel to have room for him? Why did you allow your son to be mistreated and born in a barn around the droppings of animals? But I bet he had a nice bed. That bed probably wasn't that. That's a beautiful one. I like that. That's a special one there. But you know, it was a feeding trough. He was in a feeding trough. They wrapped him up with the, this wrapped him up with strips of old clothing. Born in a barn, didn't smell like Christmas. He said, "What's Christmas smell like?" Well, Christmas smells like droppings. I thought it was candy canes and apples and spice. Jesus was born in a mess. He said, well, I bet it got better for him. They tried to kill every baby in that area to kill him. Just imagine you're born at Deaconess Gateway Hospital, which he wasn't even born in a hospital, okay? You got it better than him already. And let's say that they kill every baby on every floor and he narrowly escapes because they're trying to kill him. You think you had a bad childhood? I don't think you can match how bad he had it. I bet it was better after that. No, the angel said you better go to Africa. Go to Egypt. The Bible says he came out of Egypt, which is a miracle of prophecy, because how does a guy be born in Bethlehem, move all the way to the north, or go to Egypt, then come out of Egypt? He said, my son will come out of Egypt. And then he said he will be raised in Galilee, which is a whole different area. He's running for his life his whole early childhood. Kids around him think he's illegitimate and doesn't have a dad. Somewhere along the way, his dad disappears. After the age of 12, there's no mention of his dad. His dad's not in his life anymore. He's the oldest of the kids. Do you think he had to take care of that family? Do you think maybe it would have been nice to have his dad in his life? I'm telling you, he had a hard life, but maybe it got better. He was faithful. Faithful to God in every way. Begins his public ministry. And by the way, the Holy Spirit had to direct him everywhere because they were trying to kill him everywhere he went. They were trying to throw him off cliffs. They were trying to stone him. 
They're accusing him of everything you could possibly be accused of, including casting demons demons out by being demon-possessed himself. Accused him of everything. Well, they never got him. Good. Holy Spirit protected him. Until they ripped his entire beard out. Until they gouged his side until his guts fell out. Until they beat his back until you could see his ribs. Until they nailed him up to a cross like you wouldn't do an animal. The third sign is a hard one for me to get past. Why did he do it? Why did he live such a hard life? Why was he born in such a hard way? Why did he have to do it himself? Because he wants to relate to you. He wants you to know they may not care about you. Christians may not always care about you. Hello? People around you will always let you down. Hello? But he's trying to say, I will never let you down. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I understand a hard life. I had a hard life. I didn't have a dad. They tried to kill me. They accused me of being illegitimate. How many names do you think the demons of hell called him over the course of his life? He was abused. He was mistreated. The Bible even makes a point of saying he wasn't even attractive. He was ugly. The Bible says he was nothing to look upon. So at least he was good looking. He wasn't even good looking. He didn't have much going for him. All right? And he did all of that on purpose. Because he wanted you to know, I was born in a messy world too. Follow me. Love me. Quit tripping over me. You keep stumbling over me and I can't heal you. God doesn't want you to go through another Christmas addicted. God doesn't want you to go through another Christmas full of depression. God doesn't want you to go to your family and be affected by dysfunction. Dysfunction. 20 years ago, there was an episode of uh, Seinfeld, and I'm not a big proponent of Seinfeld, but this episode really stuck with me. He's seen the other cultures celebrating Christmas, and he said, I'm going to make my own. He called it Festivus for the rest of us. (laughs) and he said it would start with the airing of grievances. And so they would air their grievances, and then they would move forward, and some of us do that. Some of us have a way we dysfunctionally celebrate Christmas, and God wants to change that. There's no excuse to remain, no excuse to remain dysfunctional. Say, man, I've got to go into my family, and they're going to say this about me, and they're going to say that about me, and Jesus is going to say, love them. Love them. Just accept it's dysfunctional and love them in their dysfunction. In fact, there's the airing of grievances. Let me think we celebrate Christmas like that sometimes. The airing of grievances. The festering. Let's celebrate with the festering of wounds. Let me think that's what happens. And God's saying, don't miss Christmas this year. Don't miss the Christ of Christmas. God's saying there's no more gloominess, no more darkness, a new light has shined. Your past is your past. God wants to heal your past. He doesn't want you to keep living in it. He came for you. He came to heal your wounds. He didn't come so you could fester your wounds. If that's the case, you missed Christmas. You missed it all. You got good gifts, maybe. You did great celebratory things, but you missed Christmas. Let me give you one final story here as the worship team makes their way up here. 
This is how Christmas will change you. And I want you to listen to the story very carefully. This story is from a book called The Luck of Roaring Camp. It says, this camp was the meanest. Follow me on this. One story is it and I'm going to close. The meanest, roughest mining community town in the West. I want you to think about this group of people. Mean, rugged. How many have ever been around rough groups of people? All right. Rough groups of people. This is one of the roughest and one of the toughest, one of the meanest. There were more murders and more thefts in this town than anywhere in the West. This camp was inhabited entirely by men, except for one woman who made her living the only way she knew how. Her name was Cherokee Sal. Eventually, she became pregnant and gave birth to a baby. She died in childbirth, and nobody knew who the father was. I want you to think about this little baby who didn't have a chance. Born without a father. Nobody knew who the father was. Rough town. And it was a little girl. The men put the baby girl on a box and some old rags were put underneath her. Somehow the rags to these men did not seem right. So one of the men rode 80 miles to buy her a beautiful wooden cradle. This is how God changes your heart. Think about this. When they put the rags and the baby in the beautiful cradle, the rags just didn't look right. So another one of the men volunteered to drive all the way to Sacramento and purchase silk and lace blankets for the baby. The men lined the rosewood cradle with silk and tucked the new blanket around the little baby girl and someone noticed that the floor under the cradle was filthy. See these hearts softening? You know the toughest people in the world I found are the softest people? They've just been hurt. They've been wounded. They've had a hard life. I'm telling you the truth. Mary, the prostitute, Jesus said she loves much because she's been forgiven much. The softest hearted people have been hurt the most a lot of times. It says the floor underneath looked dirty to the men. The next thing you know, a few of the big tough men got down on their hands and knees and scrubbed the floor until it was spotless. Of course, then the walls and the ceiling looked bad and the dirty window looked awful. So they washed down the walls, the ceiling. They hung some clean white curtains on the windows. I want you to look at your life. This is what the baby does when you know who Jesus is. God's renovating the inside of your heart. When when you find out what Christmas is really about and it's about Jesus, this is what happens to your heart. Things were beginning to look a lot better, but they soon realized... They had to give up their carousing and fighting for the sake of the girl. After all, the baby needed a lot of sleep. The babies can't sleep during a brawl. Besides all that, the baby didn't like angry voices or frowning faces, so they tried to smile a lot more. 
So the men smiled and talked with pleasant, cheerful tones at all times. Since babies shouldn't be left alone, they set the cradle by the entrance of the mine. One of the men stayed next to the baby while the others worked and they took shifts. And somebody noticed how ugly the mine entrance was. So they planted flowers and made a small garden near the cradle. As they worked, the men looked for shiny little stones that they could show the baby and make her gurgle and coo. But when they held the stones near her, they saw that their hands were really filthy and dirty. And they didn't want the little baby see their scraggly hair and their wild beard so pretty soon they went to the general store and sold out all the soap and shaving gear <laughs> the baby changed their lives forever you know that story is an example of how Jesus Christ will change your life if you find him he'll change your Christmas he'll change your Thanksgiving You'll change every holiday that you have except Halloween. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. But you get a hold of Jesus. And that's what he'll do. He'll just get inside of you. And so many people go through Christmas and we think it's about everything else. Everything else is a byproduct of this. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Stand to your feet. Oh, Heavenly Father. Father, I just pray right now, Lord, that you would anoint your word, Lord. Oh, Father, that you would uh, reveal yourself, Lord. Lord, you said you came to seek and save the lost, the hurting, the wounded. Father, those who have found something missing, Lord, with Christmas, I have the missing piece today, Lord. Father, I just pray that you'd give them the courage to embrace it, Lord. Hold on to it and never let it go. Let it change their life, Lord. Lord, I pray that Jesus would grow in them like this little girl grew in this community, Lord. Change every part of their life, their attitude. Do it today, Lord. Hallelujah. With your eyes still closed, I just want to ask you today. I'm going to say a prayer. Maybe you're not right with the Lord today right with the Lord today. Just nobody's looking around. Just, just show me your hand. Don't pray with anybody today. If you're not right with the Lord, everybody in this church wants to see you get right with the Lord today. That's our prayer. That's where we were at, all of us. Nothing special about us except we got right with God. We wanted to clean up because we love Him. Anybody here today, I'm not right with the Lord right now. I've been away from God. I'm back slidden and I just want to make a commitment today. The Lord, we're going to worship. Uh, we're going to take a song here to worship. And, and uh, if you're here today, I want you to put aside that you have a neighbor to your left and your right, and 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 I just want to make sure that we're not ashamed to worship. Right? We're not ashamed to worship, are we? But today, let's just take a few moments to celebrate our Lord. Let's worship together. Hallelujah.
the Lord. Uh, something I want you to think about this morning is uh, there's something about the way that Jesus came that we have to understand. When he came and gave these prophecies about his son, what they really wanted him to do was win all the battles. They wanted him to defeat the Assyrians. They wanted him to defeat the other two armies that were coming. They wanted every battle to be won. And sometimes we do that to God. We don't understand God because He doesn't win every battle. We don't just sit back and God does everything we ask Him to do. And so we stumble over God because of that. And that's what God's trying to tell us today. Don't stumble over that. He came the way He did in humility because He was trying to show you there's something about the way that this world is set up that God ordained it to be that way. God gave men free will to do what they're going to do, either be obedient or be disobedient. When somebody in your family is disobedient and they hurt you, God can't wave a magic wand and say it's never going to happen again because everybody can do whatever they want. They can hurt whoever they want. They can damage whoever they want. So Jesus came into this world and he was subject to the same damage that we're enduring. That's what's called the foolishness of God's plan. And that's why a lot of people stumble over because they don't want to endure the evil that's around them and they want God to just take it away. And Jesus said, even my, Jesus said, even my life wasn't taken away. But God strengthened me through it and promised me there's going to come a day where every tear will be wiped away. All evil will be gone one day from this world. All death, all sickness, all sorrow. That's the plan that Jesus had. I will strengthen you through this world. I endured it. I overcame it. I went through it. And now just follow me. I'm going to help you through all the hard situations. I'm going to help you through all the pain. Is God going to take it all away? Sometimes he will. Sometimes he won't. Just like his life. But you have to understand that he lived his life a certain way teach us how to endure, to teach us how to live, to teach us how to act, to teach us this, how to love. Even when the dog's biting our hand because we're trying to help the dog, we're going to learn to love through it. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord God, bless your people, Lord. Father, I pray that your message in your life would not be a stumbling block, Lord God. Lord, that they would look at you, Lord God, even though the Bible says you weren't beautiful physically, they're going to learn why you're so beautiful to us, Lord. Lord, it's your love that's so beautiful, Lord. Oh, it's your love, Lord God, that's so beautiful. Lord, you're the most beautiful person that ever lived. The beauty of your holiness, Lord God, we sit back in awe, Lord. Father, what you endured for us, Lord Jesus, what you endured. It says you were beaten more than any man was ever beaten. Your face was marred more than any man's ever marred. It says you were unrecognizable as a man because you loved us, Lord God. You endured for us, Lord. Oh, Lord, we thank you today. We pledge ourselves to you today, Lord. Bless your people as they go, Lord God. In your name we pray.